All right. Well, glad that you're here joining us. Thank you, Pastor Brenda, for those prayers. Thank you, Mike, for pulling together that video for us. I have been really excited to dig into Revelation, and I hope you are too. As I said in the video, I was joking with Pastor Brenda about this being the least interesting but the most important of the series. So you can be a judge whether it's interesting or not. But I'm excited about it. And we do invite you to the journey, whether that's to be in a life group that's going to dig deeper. Um, there'll be an opportunity to ask questions even today. There'll be a QR code up a little bit later, and you can send in whatever question you might have about the entire series or about today's sermon specifically. And we'll get to some of those in the sermon time today. So do um, go ahead and do that when we get to it. Um, this series really started with this idea of Genesis and that we were created to flourish, that the garden was really a temple, this place for God and humanity to live into relationship with one another. And God's mission for us was to flourish and to bring flourishing into the world, and yet that got pulled apart, that got separated, and God's plan is to bring that back together all the way from the beginning. And so we're going to land here in Revelation and look at what does that look like. We talked about this commission to Adam and Eve to flourish, and Pastor Brenda last week talked about that same mission was given to Noah, to flourish. This was our original vocation, was to flourish and to bring flourishing to all of humanity. That has not stopped. Now, we know that humanity has taken a stumble. We've drifted from our own vacation and we vocation and we call that the fall and this overarching sort of narrative is how we look through to understand scripture creation fall redemption and restoration um, one author put it this way it's only it's the only story that explains the way things were the way things are the way things could be and the way things will be. So we get to jump into this narrative and look specifically at what does Revelation have to say about it. Last week, Pastor Brenda talked about in Genesis 11 with Noah, this idea that the people wanted a transactional relationship with God. They wanted to build this building as a way to get God to come to them. And it wasn't so much about their common language. It was more about the fact that they didn't talk to God about what they should do. So God disrupted that plan. The very next chapter in Genesis, chapter 12, God calls Abraham. And what's interesting about God's call of Abraham is we don't know anything about his life up until that point. Nothing. It's silent. And I think that's the point. God called Abraham, and Abraham had faith and believed and followed. And again, that charge to be a father of a nation, a nation that is going to bring blessing to the entire world. In the New Testament, we read about Jesus, this mission incarnated. This good news that we hear about flourishing is now incarnated in Jesus, and he brings that to us. Now, we talk a lot about the Gospels at Community Church, a lot about Paul's letters and the letters in general, and even the Old Testament, but we have never done a series on Revelation. Now, I grew up learning about Revelation, as I said in the video, and it was presented pretty scarily and fearfully. And we would actually do skits in our youth group about how scary it was going to be. So maybe people would feel fearful and anxious and turn to Jesus, right? We thought we were being faithful in understanding it, and we want to unpack 
How did that get that way? And, and how can we read Revelation in a better way? So let's go to God in prayer. God, we invite you in as we have been doing and as we are in this service, that your Holy Spirit comes and inhabits this place, inhabits this time, God. And I pray that each of us would hear what we need to hear from you. Amen. All right, let me first just take a minute or two to talk about how Revelation itself has been viewed in history. The early church took it as a letter written by the Apostle John. And Eugene Peterson, one of the references I've been leaning into, and nothing I'm saying today is really original. We'll, we'll hit all of the resources that I've been accessing at the end. But one of my favorite books on Revelation, Reverse Thunder by Eugene Peterson, he spent some time talking about John itself and John as a pastor, a real pastor with churches that are struggling, as a theologian and a poet. And that's how Revelation was initially understood and was welcomed in by the church. But all the way back in the fourth century, there was some suspicion about this book. As some people began to interpret their whole faith through the lens of Revelation instead of the other way around. Eventually, the West incorporated it into the canon, incorporated it into the Bible. The Eastern churches during that time were a little more suspicious. Eventually, they included it, but the Eastern churches till today do not have it in their lectionary, so it's not a book that they preach from, because even from the beginning, it's been a difficult book to handle. So how we read it is very important. What lens do we put on when we pick up the book of Revelation? I want to give you four ways that people have come to understand this book over the last 2,000 years. The Futurist version. Now, this parts of this have been there from the very beginning, but really this, this Futurist version called Dispensationalism is really a new invention. Um, when we see movies like a Left Behind and A Thief in the Night, and you can look at those on YouTube. The full movies are there if you want something very interesting. It has this, and I'm not going to unpack dispensationalism, but it's a newer invention from the last hundred years. And it basically says that almost the entire book of Revelation is in the future. And we are in this time uh, before the second coming, and all of it is going to happen in the future at some point. It's the view that I grew up with, and you read Revelation as a blueprint for the end times. The next way is the historist view, and it's church history, basically. It's a story of history from Jesus until now, and we can see key events unfolding before us. It connects the prophecies with actual historic events, persons or societies, not necessarily in modern day today, but things that they can point to back in the time of John. The third way, the preterist view, um, this is basically the opposite of the futurist view. And it says the entire book of Revelation, apart from the last two and a half chapters, has already happened. It happened in the first century back when John was writing this, and it was written before the fall of Jerusalem. And finally, the last way that people have come to understand this book is to see most of it as imagery and symbolic. It's not about history at all, but it's more about this battle between good and evil. Now, I don't know which view you grew up with um, the most. 
Um, for me, it was the futurist view. And lots of books have been sold about the futurist view. Lots of movies have been made about the futurist view. And if that's your perspective, I'm glad that you are here. How do we know which of these views is right? That's what we're going to unpack right now. Because it's so important to read scripture correctly. How do we see the world? What God is doing in the world? The song we were singing earlier, Hymn of Heaven, um, is one that um, often sort of I get choked up on. Those of you that knew Joyce Lee, um, the first time I heard that song was during that um, during her funeral. And it paints this picture of when Jesus comes back and we're resurrected, we will be with the other people, other followers of Jesus who have been resurrected. This idea that God is going to bring heaven back to earth, Jesus prays for that image to happen. But if I believe that it's all going to burn up, then how does it impact how I live? Just one example. If it's all going to be burned up anyway, then we don't care about creation. Why bother trying to take care of our earth if God's going to destroy the whole thing? If I don't think God's going to destroy the whole thing, then I need to care about this. So our theology impacts actually how we live it out. See, this Bible has words of life, has important ways of connecting us with God. The Holy Spirit can use these words to transform our lives, to bring hope, to bring encouragement. So it's important that we understand it correctly. So I want to take a look at how we can interpret Revelation specifically. Um, you could think about this in terms of the whole Bible, but we're going to talk specifically about how to interpret Revelation. One is to know the big story. So that creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Know this narrative arc going into it. It's important to interpret Revelation in light of the rest of the Bible. Instead of looking at Revelation and interpreting the rest of the Bible through that lens. Does that make sense? Looking at the Bible's narrative as we come to Revelation to help understand it versus using Revelation to try to understand everything else that came before it. Two, what did it mean to the original audience? How did they understand the book? One of my professors at Wheaton, he says it this way, the Bible was written for us, not to us. And that is a huge shift for some of us to make. God is not stepping down into your world and handing you the Bible. There was an original audience, and none of us were it. So how did the original audience understand these important scriptures? That will help us get at the meaning of how we can interpret it today. See, I grew up kind of with this idea, they didn't say it, that somehow the Bible just dropped from the sky or that God whispered into the author's ear and the author wrote down everything that God was saying. And it's a more complex process than that, is God inspires and not just the writers and the authors, but the church to discern which book should make it into the canon. And it took a few hundred years for the church to agree on which book should be a part of our Bible. It can be helpful to think about the Bible as a library, a series of books that have come together to be helpful, to be foundational, to be a guide for us in our faith. 
It's written to a people in a place and in a culture. That can create a lot of distance for us in understanding it. And third, what genre is it? What genre is it? What type of writing is Revelation? Now, if you go to the library and you're interested in finding a specific book, you'll go to the section where that book is. So if you're interested in fiction, you go over to this section. If you're interested in poetry, or you're interested in biographies, there's different sections, and these are different ways of understanding literature, genre. So what type of genre do we have in the Bible? We have letters and gospels, we have poetry, and we have apocalyptic writing, and so that's what we're going to take a look at today. Revelation 1, 1 and 2, this is how the book starts. The revelation of, from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. So this very first word, revelation, is important for us. It's the title of the book itself. In Greek, it's this word here, apocalypsis, revelation or an unveiling. It's one revelation, one revelation, a revelation about Jesus. And so this apocalyptic literature has its own way of describing things. Apocalyptic literature is filled with symbolism, images, numbers. These are stand-ins for other things. And we're going to get to these different symbols as we walk through the book, but know that it's full of symbolism. Book of Revelation, part of that symbolism is like a political cartoon. It's written and presented to a people who understand what it's saying, but we might not. So I was looking at different political cartoons this week, and if you can see this, you'll see this large warrior-type character and kind of this orange globby thing down there. What is that orange globby thing? Yeah, the coronavirus. All right, fast forward 2,000 years. If you came across this, what might you think it is? Who knows, right? Who knows what this is? If you look really closely, you can see the coronavirus, this pink orb is flinging something around. What might that tell us? This is a stand-in for David, David and Goliath. Now, you have to understand a lot of material even today just to understand it. Now, what does this mean, though? You understand it's coronavirus, this David against Goliath. What if you knew which country this was created from? What about the timing of when this came out? Did this come out at the very beginning of COVID? Did it come out after a vaccine? Did it come out last week? Even this cartoon who was that was drawn in the last three years, takes a lot of meaning to actually get at what it is trying to say. We can describe the image, but it doesn't, know, doesn't necessarily mean that we understand it. Just imagine somebody looking at this from 2,000 years from now. Another image, an eagle filing his nails. That's what it is, right? Is that what it means? What if I told you this was from Mongolia and they have a history of birds attacking their prey? Would that connect to this? No. What if I said it came from America, this image of an eagle? And what if I told you it was drawn right after 9-11? It would give you a sense of the meaning of this political cartoon. 
Imagine coming to this image 2,000 years from now. It would be really difficult to understand what it's saying. This is part of our challenge as we look at Revelation. It is not easy to understand. Apocalyptic literature is full of symbolisms. It's not that these symbols don't point to something, they do. And we'll get to those as we journey through this. The other thing about apocalyptic literature that I I want to lift up is that it says, and it even says in our passage today, it must soon take place. Over seven times it says, it must soon take place. And we could think, what does that mean? It's been 2,000 years. Have all of these things already happened? It has a way of trying to communicate urgency. These things matter for you now. They matter for you 2,000 years ago, and they matter to us today. So apocalyptic literature, it treats final events as imminent. It's filled with symbolism. We live with a sense of urgency. Revelation 1.3, blessed is the one who reads the words of prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. So this is a second genre within Revelation, first apocalyptic, second prophetic. Now we hear prophetic, maybe we hear prediction. This is how I was taught prophecy when I was growing up. That is not what they would have heard. They would have heard a warning. They would have heard a call to faithfulness during a difficult time. Not prediction, but faithfulness in trust. It's calling people to live faithful then, and it calls us to live faithful today because of what God is going to do. It's presenting reality from God's point of view, the way things ought to be. All right, it carries on, verses 4 to 6. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Now, there's a lot there. We're going to actually unpack some of the meaning of this next week. But this should strike us to the seven churches in the province of Asia. This is a letter. This is a letter John is sending out to his people, to these churches, these actual churches in Asia Minor during that time. So that's the third genre of this revelation, is that it's a letter, and it would have made sense to the original audience. They would have understood what it means. That's important for us to know. Now, I got this meme before I show it to you. Let me explain. I got this meme in my Facebook feed on Friday, and it illustrated my point uh, so clearly. And um, if you aren't sure of what it means, I'm not going to explain it during the sermon today. Ask your kids when you go home, or you may Google it. But this meme says, you can read it for yourself. All right, those that are laughing might understand what that means. If you're not sure of the difference, like I said, I'm not going to explain it today. 
There are parts of the Bible that are difficult to understand. It was written 2,000 years ago, our New Testament. We might think, I can read the English from a translation, or I can read the Chinese from a translation. I know what these words are, but do we understand the meaning itself? This is important for us as we come to this book. I was taught to read Revelation one way, that only in the last hundred years have we actually understood what all these symbols mean. It's important that we bring to Revelation a sense of humility in our interpretation. Okay, so two key things that are happening in Revelation. There's two main engagements that John wants his hearers to understand. One is Old Testament, and two is the empire in Rome. Revelation has more references, over 400 references, to the Old Testament, more than the entire New Testament combined. His hearers would have known the Old Testament. They would have been familiar with the imagery. They would have known what the words are saying. The second engagement is Rome, Babylon. It's the empire that they are living in. Rome had an emperor. Rome had a lord. And it was Caesar, not God. It's not just a political statement to call Caesar Lord. It's a religious statement. It's a, meant to invoke worship. One of the books I've really appreciated um, preparing is this one by Scott McKnight, Revelation for the Rest of Us. And one of the things he says in it is that it can be helpful to read Revelation 17 and 18 first um, to understand Babylon. And Babylon is a fill-in for Rome to understand the challenge that the Christians were going through in their lives. And so um, a helpful book that unpacks that. And we'll unpack more about what Babylon is in the future. Now, maybe you're thinking, I'm not sure I really understand or, you know, I'm really willing to set down the way I've looked at Revelation. And that's okay. You can, you can push back. You can challenge in this series. Ask your questions. But my desire is to bring a faithful interpretation to it. This is a book about faithfulness. It's a book about hope. It's written to a marginalized people by a marginalized person to encourage them, to challenge them, and to comfort them as they try to be faithful to the God that they love. A third book that I'll lift up today is called Reading Revelation Responsibly. And if you were to get one book on Revelation, this would be the one that I would recommend. In it, he lists ways to not interpret Revelation. And one, the first one is to, to fail to realize that it's apocalyptic literature, what we've just been unpacking. Failing to take Revelation seriously as a product of its time. So remember that Revelation was written by a first century author for a first century church, and he was using first century literary devices. Those are important things for us to hold on to as we come to the book. Now, when I was in high school, I worked at a Christian bookstore. And books on the end times are big sellers, so we sold a lot of them. It was a business that was interested in making profit, and if people bought end time books, then great. And we had so many books about the end times and different predictions that were going to be made. The first one I remember, and I was probably maybe 16 or maybe younger, they had identified the Antichrist, this, this way of reading Revelation, and it was Gorbachev. And something about the red spot on his forehead was significant, and so he was the Antichrist. 
hardline uh, Protestants uh, uh, later said, no, the Pope. <laughs> the Pope is the Antichrist. And then the European Union was somehow the Antichrist. And the problem is, is all of these predictions, none of them came to pass, right? It's trying to look at Revelation as a blueprint for how things are going to unfold, and it misses, actually, how God is using this scripture. And that's really the problem in reading Revelation that way, is you get distracted by these things that are somewhat mysterious about the millennium, about rapture, about the Antichrist. These are not the main points of the book itself. And so we actually miss its challenge to us and its comfort to us. The words rapture and antichrist are not even mentioned in Revelation. As we kind of wind down from the sermon, I don't know if anybody sent questions or not. Um, I, will, I will look up here and see if I can see any of them. All right, my window just closed, Eugene, so you may have to, uh, if Eugene is here, WhatsApp me uh, with the questions. If I can try to get back to it here, we'll see if this happens. All right. All right, what's Pastor Wade going to be wearing right after he gets sucked up during the rapture? <laughs> All right. All right. All right, another one, not so much a question, um, but um, it's important to the context of understanding the times in which things are written and intended. It affirms how much we need to apply this and be open to interpretation, looking deeply at the context, cultural and topical issues um, were written using that time and we can try to get divided on smaller issues. And so um, if you do have questions um, other than what was submitted today, do send them in. Um, we're going to take time in, in each of the, um, not maybe every week, but times to discuss and to press in and to think through. And so one of the questions I get often is, you know, what is the end times exactly? And sometimes we can look at our news feed to, to try to figure that out. Um, we've got more earthquakes, right? We've got more flooding. We've got wars. Maybe now is the end time. And really, the, the best definition of the end time is the end time started with the ascension of Jesus Christ. His ascension way back. And we are in the end times now. When those end times will end is when Jesus Christ comes back. We have been in the end times for 2,000 years. I want to close with this. Um, Revelation is not about rapture out of this world, but about faithful discipleship in this world. And that comes from Michael Gorman. All things will be renewed, and Jesus is faithful. Revelation talks about the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And this is who God is. This is who Jesus is. We're going to talk more about Jesus and how he lives that out next week. This beginning and the end. Eugene Peterson talks about the middle, the messy middle. 
And he says, it's the pastor's privilege to journey with people in the middle between the alpha and the omega, to remind them about who Jesus is, remind the people about the alpha and the omega. And that's really a privilege I have of journeying with you, church, through sometimes the very challenging middle of life, when things go sideways, when things don't turn out as planned, when we do celebrate, to be there as well. And as a church body, we get to do this journey together. We get to be with each other in the middle, being the body of Christ. The purpose of Revelation is to give people hope during difficult times, during tempting times, so they remain faithful and committed to God. During our communion time, we always have prayer ministers come up. And today, what I want you to come forward for specifically for prayer is for a prayer of hope. This is a hopeful book, and I don't want anybody to leave today not understanding that God loves them, and God is with them, and that he is a great hope giver. So if you are in that place and want a prayer of hope, during communion, come up for that. If you're journeying with somebody who is struggling and is struggling to hold on to hope, come up and pray for them. Let me close. God, I thank you that you are a faithful God, that you are with us, that you are journeying with us. And I pray that your Holy Spirit helps us to understand this important book. It has a message for us today. Help us to understand, help us to live nearer and closer to who you are in your heart. In your name we pray, amen.